Father in heaven, you are good and you are gracious to us and you've shown us your love and you've forgiven our sins. Help us today, Lord. We have some questions. Maybe you can help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The main question I want you to think about today and reflect on is this. How much is too much? It's an interesting question with no perfect answer, yet despite the challenge of specifically quantifying how much is too much, normally reasonable people like us can agree when too much has been achieved. We don't always agree on how much is enough, but usually rational people know when things are way more than enough. So this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. I got some pictures here to, to illustrate. So here we go. That's a scooter. Okay, that's, that's good. That's enough. No, too much. <laughs> too much. Okay, snowy day. Now some of you are like, no, no, that's already too much. But for anybody who has any appreciation, okay, way too much. No, no, that's a house there if you, yeah. Okay, now that's a bike, and you might be looking at that and saying, well, that's a little overloaded, but, uh, but no, that's, that's way too much. And truck, okay, that's a, a truck with a good size load there. Too much. <laughs> nope, too much. Donkey with a cart. Ah, too much. <laughs> no. Nope. See, we can tell when it's too much. We might quibble about those first pictures as to whether or not they were too much, or, but I think we're all pretty clear that the second picture in each pair depicts too much. Just ask the donkey in case you're not clear. So we're considering another story from the life of Jesus today, another story that took place at the table. Remember we've said all along, sometimes life changes at the table. This is a story where some, if not in fact most who were present, were pretty sure that they had just seen, and smelled for that matter, a donkey in the air scenario. Way too much. This is message number four in this seven message series that's going to wrap up on April 15, Festival Sabbath. Looking forward to it. Hard to believe that choir season is kind of winding down, isn't it? Yeah, all right. Well, that's a big one. April 15. Next Sabbath is communion. So come prepared for that next week. But So tasting and seeing, sometimes life changes at the table. And today we're asking the question, how much is too much? And to that end, I want to tell you today about something that some of our members here in this church are doing that many of you might consider to be too much, or at least it might seem that way if you've never tried anything like this. And what they're doing involves a table and food. So I want to ask Pat and Howard. Howard, you're down here. Pat was in the choir, but I saw her escape. Oh, there you are. How did you sneak down there? All right, come on up here. Do you guys have your microphone? Oh, Howard has it. All right. See, that's funny because Howard hasn't said anything yet at the first two services. We're going to see. <laughs> I think he's allergic to it. So, so you guys came to this church a few years ago. Tell me what it was like. 
to be new in a big church? Well, we didn't know anybody. Um, you know, we sit on the front row at his doing, but we didn't know anybody. <laughs> and so Jane Palmer reached out to us and literally adopted us. And so she told us about new members this and new members that. And we would go to those new member functions, but I would talk to Howard and Howard would talk to me. And we talked to people across from us, but we weren't really getting involved. So we were thinking, how might we get involved? So we took the spiritual gifts and found out that we both have the gift of hospitality and I love to cook. So we thought, okay, Lord, how do we do this? So literally the Holy Spirit gave us this idea. I promise you I would not have come up with this on my own. So he suggested that um, we just invite people over for a Sabbath dinner. And so we started doing that. We started inviting. Now here's the crazy part. We didn't know these people. They didn't know us and they came. <laughs> they came and had dinner with us. A lot of them came and had dinner with us. So the first time we did it, um, it, was, it turned out really good. So then we thought, well, we'll do this. This will be our ministry to make a big church small, one meal at a time. Amen, amen. So let me just ask, because mostly third service has been blessed by this. How many of you have gotten in on one of these meals so far? Let's see some of those hands. Look at that. All around the church. Now, now these were all your best friends, right? How did you pick them? I didn't know. Well, we sat beside Ivan and Lita every Sabbath. We admired Don and, and, and his wife, Elaine. Um, he, Steve and Ada sat behind us. We just invited people as the Holy Spirit impressed on us. Amen. And they came. And it occurred. Of course, Jane, she adopted us. She's been at every meal. She's uh -huh. become family. <laughs> But what occurred to us in our own personal worship is a lot of important things happened in the life of Christ over a meal. Mm -hmm. Think about the very first miracle at that wedding. We talk about the wine, but I'm pretty sure there was food there. Yeah. A meal. And so the Last Supper, the most memorable, I mean memorable, is the Last Supper. And then Peter received forgiveness for three times denying Christ over a fish fry on a seashore. Mm -hmm. So I think, what if in all of these invites, at one of them, we have entertained angels? What if? What if? So that's how we've made our ministry. And so we were at first service and we saw these darling little ladies on their little walkers and they said if you invite us we'll come so now we have to figure out how to get to first service because we're not really morning people so i'm thinking pastor barb could probably help us get some names but second second service are young people oh my god life in the house so we're thinking this has a wonderful opportunity to bring services together because we're all a part of forest lake church but we amen. just worship different times amen amen so, so, so what would you say, would you say to the people here, you know, it it's probably takes a lot of specialty training to be able to pull this no, off, right? No, 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 no. no. no? Believe me, um, I just love to cook. But, but more importantly is what we found was in our first home, it was a smaller house, much smaller. They didn't care. People were crammed in there. Those of you who were for the first meal, they were eating at tables and tea. It didn't matter but they were just enjoying the fellowship. And so what we had you do was, you had to introduce, find somebody at the meal, 
and interview them. And before you got your dessert, you had to introduce them to the larger group. And it was amazing. We found out that Pastor Sabine loved bluegrass. So Steve went the next week. Who knew, right? right. And so Pastor Steve went the next week and made her a bluegrass CD <laughs> and brought it to her the next week. And one of our meals, we had some friends over, and she's the director of nursing. We found out that D uh, Danny's daughter, wow. yes, Veronica, is in nursing school where the wife of Dr. Mazinski is head of nursing. Who knew? We couldn't have planned this but for responding to the Holy Spirit and saying, okay, this is what we have in our hand. This is how we will use it. And it's whatever you have in your hand. Use it for the service of the Lord. Amen, amen. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? Now, I want you to know that uh, Howard does speak yes. whenever Pat lets him. So, yes. And uh, he's... It's not required this time, right. but uh, if you go to the house, you'll get to hear him talk quite a bit. So, so we are very grateful for this ministry couple, and I want to challenge. I want to put the challenge on all of us. We talked about this last Sabbath in the text. It's one thing to invite that one circle. It's something else to reach outside of it, because there's a lot of people here who need to be connected, who started out new and are now the center of a whole growing part of this community. So thank you guys for your ministry and for being willing to come to first service today. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good thing. So isn't that neat what they've been able to do just by being friendly and inviting? And I want to put that challenge before everybody. How much is too much? Pat, you've got to come back to the choir. You're not done, right? Or you think you can sit down there with Howard now? This? There's a number you all do at the end, and I, yeah, there's no, we're not, no, no, no. All right. How much is too much? John chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Now this story that appears in John, it seems very clear, is also told very similarly in Matthew and Mark. And it's likely the same story as a story that appears in Luke, although the details are different there. And if you were a part of a small group, you know this is our small group series where we've encouraged you, we've written studies and encouraged you to meet. If you've been a part of a small group, then you wrestled with this throughout the week and you read these other settings and, and you've got some understanding and insights in your mind now. I want to start today in the book of John with this story and just stop for a second and reflect on what pieces of this story stuck out to John as he recorded it. The place where this story fits in the life of Jesus is it takes place very near the end of Jesus' life, just before the crucifixion and then the resurrection. So it comes in that last week, if not, in fact, in the last few days. Chapter 11, Jesus uh, raises Lazarus from the dead. And now the beginning of chapter 12 tells us this story. We find out from this text that it takes place in the town of Bethany, which is a little town just uh, up the Mount of Olives away from Jerusalem itself. 
And we see that it's where Lazarus lives. And we know that Mary and Martha are with him. And we also notice in this, it says, at this uh, banquet held in Jesus' honor, Martha served. Now, your tendency might be to kind of shake your head and say, oh, yeah, there's Martha again being the busybody. But I want to speak for Martha right now. I think Martha doesn't get a fair deal. Because there was that one event where Mary, she wanted Mary to help her, and Mary was with Jesus doing something very important there, learning at his feet as a disciple does. And so we kind of take that away from it, and then we kind of beat each other up by saying, don't be a Martha. Well, I want to say something to you about Martha. There was that event. But if you read John chapter 11, you will see that Martha had a deep understanding of what Jesus was about. And Martha, at the close of her interaction with Jesus, says that phrase that John says is the reason he wrote his whole book. She says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Martha got it. So I would be happy if more of you would be like Martha because she got it. John 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And immediately after that, though the text doesn't say it, immediately after Mary poured the perfume, a room full of men suddenly felt very uncomfortable. You see, maybe you can pretend to not see something that's going on across a room, but you can't claim to miss an overpowering smell. You don't go looking for smells, they come and find you, don't they? And regardless of whether or not you had knowledge that caused you to question Mary's character before this incident, you most certainly would have been likely to question her character now. Too much, Mary. Way too much. I mean, I know you like Jesus, but come on, think this through. First of all, the optics on this are terrible. Whether you have a negative history or not, you slipped up behind Jesus at the table, really, at his feet, and now you're behaving as if there's no one else in the room, and you let your hair down, and you're wiping his feet with your hair, and you thought readings from Song of Solomon were scandalous. Second, the smell. I mean, we all appreciate an inspiring fragrance. But moderation, please. Even if it was the greatest smell on earth, did you really have to use the whole pint of pure perfume? Whatever happened to subtlety? To just a whiff. Just enough to stimulate the senses. But this is more like a violent olfactory assault. Storm the nose. Take no prisoners. That's what's going on here. It's overwhelming. And finally, the sheer wastefulness of it all, right? I mean, I think Judas speaks for us all, or at least most of the men, when he says in verse 5, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Think about that. It's crazy, right? 
a year's wages, or at least a year's wages for a laborer, blown all at once. Too much, right? The whole thing, it's too much. It's full-blown scandalous behavior mixed with olfactory overkill and topped off with acute fiscal irresponsibility. You see, events like this are the reason so many of us men have cliches about the irrational behavior of women. Hold on, I'm going to fix it. But wait a minute, my fellow offended gentlemen, and possibly a couple of ladies, wait a minute before we go smugly to our doom. You caught what I said before I read the text, right? Did you catch it? I think Judas speaks for us all, or at least most of the men, when he says, why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Okay, just a quick rule of thumb. We have likely lost our way when Judas has become our spokesman. It's always a bad sign. So what exactly is happening here, and what is wrong with me that I can so easily see where Judas is coming from? What am I not getting? Verse 3, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me. Now, as much as I would like to just simply stay here in the book of John with this story, I can't help but suspect, despite the fact that that I get a righteous rebuke from the book of John for my straying imagination and my cold heart. Okay, that's clearly here. Yet, the answer to what I'm not getting I believe, is actually found in Luke in a story so similar in its details but so different in the point it makes. And regardless of whether or not these stories are, in fact, the same event, the details are sufficiently similar to cause the point to apply. Luke chapter 7, verse 40, Jesus answered him, Jeff, I have something to tell you. Now, it says Simon up there, but my version says Jeff because I need this, and you read it however you need Jesus answered him, Jeff, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, I said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Jeff replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Jeff, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. 
But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. To which I say, ouch, exactly. Is it true? Have I only loved the Lord a little? Is that why it all seems like too much? And don't be all smug with me right now. Maybe you know this story is in the Bible and you know that Jesus affirmed the woman for her actions and therefore you know which side you're supposed to automatically be on. But is the side you know you are supposed to be on the side you would have naturally been on had you been in that room that day? Or would you have been saying, yeah, Judas, you tell him. I know most of you to be reasonable people. And on that basis, I suspect that even the most gracious of you would have thought Mary's, act would have thought Mary's actions, while well-intended, were just a bit too much. Ironic understatement implied. And not really appropriate for the setting. Or any setting. Crying on Jesus' feet and wiping them with your hair? Really? Does that seem okay to you? But you know what, all you reasonable people? You, like me, would have been wrong. This was no overloaded cart, donkey-in-the-air scenario, even though that's probably what it would have looked like to us. That donkey wasn't overloaded. He was taking off. <laughs> well, that's what was happening there. So what do we do with this story? How do we end? What do we need to take home with us? So I had the privilege this last week to sit with two small groups that considered this passage and the others from Matthew and Mark and Luke. And in both instances, I was amazed at the passion and the emotion that this story provoked in the groups. In addition, as we pondered the details of the story, the women in both groups were, as a whole, much quicker than the men to know why what Mary did was not too much. And this seems significant to me because I don't normally see a clear gender differentiation when it comes to comprehending Bible stories. But I did this time, and gentlemen, it was not in our favor. We were a little slow. What does it mean? Well, for one thing, it likely means I might not have been the best person to give this sermon today. But on the other hand, perhaps it means I desperately needed to do this sermon today because I need to check my concepts of decorum and appropriateness and find out that what I judge to be too much might in fact turn out to be not even enough. Do I even know what it means to be forgiven much and therefore to love much? I should, for indeed I have been forgiven much, and indeed I have been given much. What about you? What has the Lord ever done for you? It's kind of an awkward question sometimes for a variety of reasons. For some of you, it doesn't always feel like you've been forgiven much because mostly 
You always followed the rules, and you did what you were supposed to do. And let me just say real quickly, that's great. You have been spared many trials and regrets because you did what you should have done. But has your good living left you love and grace deficient? You haven't been forgiven much because you've been so good, right? If this is true for you, then if you are honest, it will be hard for you to understand what Mary has done. For some others, you bring to this issue of loving greatly the challenge of having been successful in life. And your success is making it hard for you to love greatly. The problem looks like this. You have been successful and no one, including you, can honestly deny the fact. You've done great. And as a bonus, you mostly have avoided sin and foolishness that has brought many others, even some of your friends, to ruin all around you. And you know that God has blessed in your life and has been an important part of your success. But exactly which part did God play? It's awkward for you to say, I have what I have because God blessed me with it. It's awkward for two reasons. For one, you know you worked hard for that. You know you worked hard. And for the other, if it's just a blessing from God that could have gone to anyone, then why did it come to you and not to someone else? Is that how God operates? As crazy as it sounds, sometimes it's easier to just say, I worked hard and got lucky, than to suggest God has blessed you more than someone else. And we think we do that to spare God's reputation because why is it fair that you have been so blessed and others have struggled? Yes, sometimes others struggle because they made foolish decisions, but some struggle for no fault of their own. You were born in America or else you live here. But lots of other people were born in Syria or Somalia or Senegal or El Salvador. Did you just get lucky? It's a hard thing to think that God has blessed you and not blessed them. And in that light, luck kind of seems like a God-protecting notion, doesn't it? But is that what it is? Is it luck? Well, let's think about this for a minute. If it's just luck then what do I owe people that are unlucky? Nothing. But if it's a blessing from the Lord, what do I owe other people? You see, sometimes luck is just an excuse for not truly glorifying God with your life and committing your blessings to His service. So what is the source of your success? Luck? Hard work? Did God play any role at all? Given these options, is it any wonder those most blessed find it easy to love the least? Or maybe neither of these scenarios is you. You have neither made good choices nor is your life a brilliant success story. And yet here you are sitting in the house of the Lord, fully loved and fully accepted as a child of God. You know what I say to you? Lucky. You get it, don't you? You know you've been forgiven much, and therefore it isn't hard for you to love much. 
You're not confused about which part of what you have is you and which part is God. You also know what too many of us have yet to learn. You know the answer to the question, how much is too much? What you have learned is this, when it comes to showing love for Jesus, there is no such thing as too much. This is the belief I hope we all go home with, that when it comes to showing love for Jesus, there's no such thing as too much. And once we have this belief, we need to start acting on it. Now, what does that look like? Well, if Mary's in the indication, sometimes it looks a little crazy. No doubt, in its fullness, this is going to look different in each of us, but I think there will be some things in common. One is our actions will be based upon an understanding of how much we have been given and how much we have been forgiven. When we recognize how much we've been loved, then we will love much. And sometimes, when we understand this, our actions will probably seem like too much to those on the outside, but we in our hearts will know that they haven't even come close to the love and grace we've been shown. So a quick guide to whether or not you're getting this right. If you haven't surprised anyone by an act of devotion to Jesus for a long time, you're probably not getting it right. Do your friends ever say to you, you sure you're not taking this a little too far? They should say that every now and then. You should have a merry moment every now and then. Here's how we wrap it up. Your sins have been forgiven. The more you understand what this means, the more you will know what Mary knew, and the more you will understand why she did what she did. What did Mary know? When it comes to showing love for Jesus, there is no such thing as too much. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to understand how we are blessed, what it means that we are forgiven. Help us not to have the heart that Judas had, but rather the heart that Mary had. And help us each to sometime in the days ahead have a chance to show devotion to Jesus in a way that will cause someone else to think maybe it was too much, but enable us to know in our hearts it wasn't even close to what he's done for us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.